long-term things like, for instance, you mentioned, look at healthy he healers are usually healthy. Well, one of the greatest healers I know has so many physical things wrong with him and just continues to get more things wrong with him. It's hard for me to see karma at work. It's like I have to accept it on blind faith. And especially when I'm thinking so much of being in the moment, it's hard for me to relate to karma. Is, is that clear? <laughs> <laughs> the, the tenor of it is clear. perhaps I'll try to respond <laughs> by emphasizing the importance of being in the moment The difficulty in communication comes when we mix levels of concept. And there's a level of relative truth and a level of more ultimate truth. And we communicate on both levels. And sometimes there's confusion because somebody may be communicating on the level of more ultimate truth the other person hearing it or communicating back on the level of relative truth. As an example, the level of I or being, or self, that's a relative truth. And we can talk about beings being reborn and dying and going through various aspects of this story. And it's a level that we live on a lot. So it's it's true on its level, and it would be a mistake to deny that. We relate to one another interpersonally. Right? We relate to ourselves as beings, as personalities. So there's a relative truth to that. There's a, there's a level of perception at which that's true. At a more ultimate level, it's not true at all. There's nobody there. It's just the dance of elements. Right? It's, it's as if we could look at this through an electron microscope, the whole sense of self or I or identity or personality would disappear. It would just be, it would just be the experience of the energy. So in the same way, on a relative level, time exists. And we live in that. We live on that level a lot. You know, of past and present and future. In terms, though, of the truth of any moment's experience, where is it ever to be found? I mean, our experience is always to be found in the moment. Where else could it be? And those two are not really contradictory. It's just talking about experience, one from a more relative viewpoint, in which we use concepts to describe as, for example, in time, a progression of present moments, and a more ultimate level where we're just into the experience of that moment itself. 
And so for me, the, the understanding of karma unfolding through the concept of time, in other words, this moment conditions the next moment, conditions the next moment. One example, perhaps of understanding how the law of karma works over time and yet actually is manifesting simply in each moment. Take an, analog- an analogous situation of planting a seed in the ground. You plant a seed and it germinates right, and it becomes a sapling and it becomes a tree and the tree bears fruit and the fruit drops to the ground and there's a new seed which germinates and becomes a sapling and a tree and new fruit. There's an unfolding process over time. Right? It's a process of becoming. This becoming that, becoming the next, becoming the next. There's an unfolding process there. And it unfolds over what we call time. And yet, in any moment's experience, there is just the particular stage of treeness that happens to be manifesting in that moment. And whatever moment you look at, okay, there's either the sapling or the tree or the fruit. Karma is analogous, the law of karma is analogous to the law of that seed which says that if you plant an apple seed, you don't get a mango. There's a law to the unfolding, it's not chaotic. Given this, that arises. Given an apple seed, an apple tree, an apple fruit will happen. In the same way, each moment's experience conditions, is part of this process of becoming, and it's happening lawfully, it's not happening chaotically. And it just makes sense. I mean, even, even if we can see it in a, in a very detailed way, which is one of the things the Buddha said also, that it is too complex to see how we do an action now, how is that going to you know, bring a result in ten years? It would be very hard to see that. But in a much more immediate way, Pay attention to the effect, even in the moment, or the the proximate moments. The mind gets angry. You're in a relationship, and the mind gets angry, and you express the anger. Pay attention to the result. You you can see right you can see right in the moment that there's a result for one's own mind. The result in terms of the impact of that energy, what comes back because of that impact. And with some reflection you could understand that every moment is conditioning a certain tendency of mind. So for example, if there's a situation and we respond with anger, it's conditioning or habituating that response. So we're in that situation or a like one sometime down the road, and there's a likelihood that the same response will be there, because we've established a certain habit pattern. 
And you know, the stronger, the more we cultivate particular responses, that pattern becomes very strong. And that's really what we call our personality. It's just that accumulation or conglomeration of different patterns of response. Does that address any Um, of your concerns? Okay, one thing that I would suggest with all of the uh, these kinds of teachings it's not at all a question of belief because you believe it or you don't believe it does not affect the truth of it or the, or the non-truth of it. Right? Our belief has nothing to do with anything. And so you certainly don't have to believe it and it's not even suggested that you believe it. More is, what I think is more valuable, is to stay open to the consideration of it. And just sort of have it in your mind as an investigation. And just see. You know, see from your experience whether things, whether as your life unfolds, this particular idea or theory or set of concepts seems to fit you know, to the unfolding of your experience or not. Thank you, John. The of insight from meditation similar to the flashes from the subconscious. Uh, it's a two-fold question. I've had very weighty technical problems that I just couldn't work out. When I wake up one morning and there was the answer to my first thought. And then the second second question was, in the higher states of meditation do the conscious and subconscious merge? Okay, the, f- the first question had to do with whether, this, whether the uh, flashes of insight the same as these flashes of intuition, sudden solving of a problem. In some way it's the same and in some ways it's different. It's the same in the sense that as we go through different levels of insight or understanding, it's sudden, it's intuitive, it's not discursive. It doesn't come as the result of sitting down and thinking about it. So, for example, as we deepen our understanding of impermanence or selflessness, it's not going to come from sitting and reflecting on selflessness or impermanence. It comes from that intuition in the same way that there's a problem that's in our mind and then all of a sudden the, the solution appears to us. Right. So it's not a deductive process. It's an intuitive one. So in that way they're the same. In one of the great Zen texts it's described 
as a sudden wordless understanding. It's different in the sense that it's not a thought. The insight doesn't come as a thought. It comes as a level of experience. And so it's not that you're going to get up one morning and at the fourth, you know, the 5.30 sitting, this sudden flash is going to come, everything is impermanent. I mean, that might happen, but that's thinking, thinking. (laughs) The insight into impermanence comes from the dropping into another level of the experience of it. So, do you see the difference? The dropping into that other level of the experience of it comes intuitively. And so, all we can really do is put in our time. You know, you sit and you walk and you sit and you walk and you sit and you walk. And if you can simply surrender to being with the unfolding process, by itself, the deepening of insight happens. The second question about the subconscious and conscious Sometimes we have the idea that the subconscious is like this, I don't know, compartment in the mind, or this little black box, you know, in the mind, and sort of it leaks out during dreams <laughs> and some other times. I don't know about your experience, but I've never found that little black box in my mind. You know, and a more useful model for me has been to rather see consciousness as a spectrum and there's a threshold. And everything above the threshold is conscious and everything below the threshold is subconscious. But it's not as if it's separate compartments. It's just that we have a certain limit or threshold of sensitivity, of awareness to what's happening in the mind. One of the things that becomes very apparent is that through the practice, the threshold deepens. And so what formerly would have been very unconscious or subconscious now is very conscious. And just take a very simple example of, you know, passing thoughts or images, which a month ago might well have gone by unnoticed. It would have been there, but it would have been subconscious. And it would have been motivating and influencing us in the ways that subconscious things do without our knowing it, without our being aware. Just by paying attention, we get get increasingly sensitized to more and more of the range of what's in the mind.
so to speak. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm glad you did actually. The que- Did you hear in the back? The question had to do with um, having, like most of us, been conditioned and brought up with concepts quite different than things like karma and rebirth. That, for the most part, he's just put that on hold. You know, not knowing and not putting it aside from now, for now. And yet, friends and people he's connected with in the Dharma have suggested that it actually is important to believe that. I would phrase it slightly differently. I would say that it's important to understand it. And I think it's very important to understand it. To believe it and not to understand it seems like just another blind belief. Seems like an opinion that one has, right? Which is not connected to anything. It's not connected to your experience. It's not even connected really to your belief. Right? It's just kind of <laughs> this set of concepts. Oh yes, I believe that. And the real belief or faith or confidence comes or is born out of understanding. Right? To whatever extent we can. And again, with some of these ideas, it takes time and real sensitivity and openness and investigation to begin to get some sense of what they mean. I think it's it's very, very important to do that. I guess I can, the best way of responding would be to share my experience with relating to those ideas because like you, 
when I went to begin my practice, I had a background in Western philosophy, and you know, I had no connection with karma, with rebirth. They were completely strange ideas to me. And first, through hearing and reading about it and trying to come to some understanding of it, staying open to it on that level, the process that happened for me was not an experience where I could say, yes, I've seen past lives, I've seen future lives, I know that it's true. Rather, it was an intuitive sense an increasingly deep, intuitive sense of the truth of it, reinforced by asking some people who I trusted very deeply were honest, asking them, knowing that they had the powers to see this, whether they have actually seen Right? themselves not from books, not from opinions, where they've actually seen the different realms and beings dying and reborn, and them saying yes. So that, that was a strong reinforcement of my own intuitive sense of it. Can it be what? You know, Jack is the one who knows about all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I read spy novels. <laughs> so I'm sure that there is some analogy in all that with left brain and right brain and neurophysiology and, you know, it's not, I really have the sense that there's some very profound connections. I don't have any idea what they are. (laughs) 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 I mean, in what you said, there was an insight in terms of learning which of the voices speaks truer to you. You know, and as as we learn that, we learn to pay attention more to that voice. Karmic. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I really have to (laughs) preface what I'm going to say by saying that I am not an expert in karma. You know, and in terms of um, the full understanding, even on the conceptual level, of how it all works, Munindra, one of my teachers, would be able to expound at great length on (laughs) 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 happily. (laughs) You know, on a lot of the, the technicalities of the of the workings of it. And I just don't I haven't done that degree of, of the study of it. Um, just to the extent that I understand it, not everything that we experience is a karmic result. There are certain laws of physical the physical properties um, which bring results but are not the result of karma rather just the result of a physical law. Um, For an example, the the apple seed, producing an apple rather than a a pear, is not karmic. That's that's following a certain law, it's called the law of germination, the the law of seeds. The things are ordered. (laughs) They're ordered... It's actually more (laughs) profound than you might think. (laughs) This law of seed. (laughs) Anyway, there are certain laws 
just governing the physical elements, which are not karmic. But, as I said, for a more detailed uh, exposition. Right. My sense is that um, the descriptions may not be the same, right? but that um, the experience of different levels of, of reality seem very similar to me. Could you give me an example? Uh, Buddhist heaven is not a uh, Christian heaven. You know, it's a Christian dies and they come back from death and they report seeing Christ. Well, Buddhists do too. No, Bud- yeah, no, yeah, sure. Buddhists see Christ. How do you know? I don't know. There is a report. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, the, the sense I get from people who have that kind of power of mind, especially when it's, when it's developed in a very systematic way, is that there's a power of mind to see all the realms where all the different, the, the Christian heavens, the Buddhist heavens, and the you know, American Indian heavens, the beings are there. You know, beings are there from all from all backgrounds and from all cultures. But again, (laughs) it's interesting, and I would hope that you stay open to the consideration of it, but don't get too spun out in it. Karmic results have to do with the feelings that are experienced. Right? When we experience something that's pleasant or unpleasant, 
that pleasantness or unpleasantness, that's the karmic result. And so the planning mind, and whether it happens or it doesn't happen, that's not necessarily the working of a karmic law. The feelings associated with however it works out, that's the karmic fruit. Is that difference clear? And so we can align our energies to achieve a certain result. And we do it all the time, to, to plan and to direct our energy in a particular way. And maybe it works out exactly as we had thought, or similar to, or not at all. But there can definitely be that directing you know, of our energy. And then the feelings that we experience in that process that's going to be the karmic result of past action. Is there, is there a way to uh, direct the uh, karma or merit of uh, particular actions? You know, like right, I understand. Either towards a particular result, and so I think that would be to share it is possible to direct it. And again, I express this not for you to believe or disbelieve. It's just putting it out and do with it what you like. It's actually possible to direct the fruit of an action for a particular result. And so it's said, for example, that before the Buddha's enlightenment in his many lifetimes as a bodhisattva, as a being working towards enlightenment, he would dedicate the fruit of his actions. May this be the cause of my full enlightenment. And may, the, may the purity of this deed be the cause of my full enlightenment. Some people dedicate an action to be be reborn in heaven. Somebody dedicates an action to fall in love. You can dedicate it for whatever you like. It can be actually um, directed in that way. I think it's helpful to direct it towards the highest happiness, as long as we're directing it. Um, In terms of sharing merit, it's a very common part of the practice to share, and merit just means forces of purity in the mind, kind of all those, the force, the karmic force of all the mind moments of wholesome mind states. There's, there's a power there. That, that's what merit means. It's not like merit badges. <laughs> Unfortunately, the word suggests that. You know, we collect all these badges. It's rather just the accumulated force in our own mind, you know, of wholesome mind states. By sharing that, what happens is. Both that, uh, on the vibrational level, that, that's, a, that's an act of generosity, an act of giving, right? 
And so there's an effect just for the people around us on the vibrational level of being, being in that state of giving. With beings who may be aware of our sharing, it induces a wholesome mind state in them. And so they benefit from that. So on different levels, it actually has an effect. They confuse me too. And so I actually suggest you ask Meninja when he comes. <laughs> and it, it was that same question that came up the other night. Really, uh, it's, the, it's the basic question of free will versus determinism. You know, if everything is conditioned, so then what can we do? You know, when, wh- why make an effort? course, the effort that we make might also be conditioned. I, in terms of a kind of conceptual resolution of that, I don't, I don't see it. More just in terms of an intuitive experiential resolution. Right? It seems to make sense that we actually have the choice to make effort right? to be present, to pay attention in anything, make, make an effort to do anything. What falls down? If the whole karmic, you know, uh, thing falls down, because then, then people are, are are doing their thing out of their own volition. You know? I mean, it's no big sweat. <coughs> you know, Does it change that. anything? Uh, no. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> What I would suggest is taking a look at it uh, to the degree that we can observe our actions and the effect of our actions. I mean, to that degree, pay attention. You know, and I think that will help to illuminate the process to the level that we can understand it. Where on the probabilistic level, you've got karma. But for an 
one fits within the other. They're not, they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, they're related, let's put it that way. In other words, one operates within the field of another, but it in itself is not determined by the, its own actions. So I feel better, maybe somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Except that's looking at the actions within a very narrow uh, time frame. That's why it's helpful if one could see a hundred thousand past lives, you know, and say, oh, that's why this is happening. It is its own food, and it also will bear its own food, but perhaps not exactly when we want it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one last question. What's the problem? Uh, it sounds accurate to me. Um, the, well, the uh, frustration that I can see I create for myself um, through walking, um, specifically you know, in practice, talking about now, and also just the orientation that you know you're always given to practice without. Right. He didn't say want. He didn't say want and it shall be given to you. (laughs) There's a big difference. Pardon? Asking, asking is an... Asking is an opening. It's not a reaching. Right? Wanting is a reaching. 
if we can ask in the sense of opening to a possibility, asking for enlightenment, asking for whatever one wants to ask for, and then opens to the possibility of it, then the process can unfold in that direction. That's very different than reaching out with the wanting mind and trying to take it, because that's not actually the way things happen. And I wasn't terribly fond of cats. So every time we'd come in, I'd get a bit irritated and throw it out. And it would just come right back in. (laughs) And I'd get irritated and throw it out. And it would come right back in and I'd throw it out. And it happened over and over again, day after day. And it was really driving me nuts. Because every time it came in, I'd get more irritated and throw it out. But it, it totally persisted. You know, it just kept coming back into my room. <laughs> dumb cat. You know? <laughs> but actually it was dumb me. <laughs> and then after, after quite a few times of this, I just gave up. You know, obviously it wasn't doing any good to keep throwing it out. So I just let it come in and I sat there. And I came in and stayed a little while and walked out. <laughs> Take a look in your practice at what you're throwing out. We keep throwing things out and they keep coming back. Mm -hmm. And you don't like them, you throw them out again. They keep coming back. Try not wanting, but asking. That is just And the mind comes then to its own natural balance. You come to just the unfolding of our being in that way. So Okay, there's it's a quarter to eight now. If you walk for about forty five minutes till eight thirty and sit for an hour till nine thirty. Thank you. By the way, Munindra will be coming in April. So, <laughs> for those of you who would like to explore the complexity of it, he is definitely the one to do it with. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.